and welcome to the Executive Security Podcast, where we talk to CISOs and other leaders in the cybersecurity field about their careers, specifically how they got into it and how to advance. My name is Gene Fay, the CEO of ThreadX, an API and application security company, and the host of the Executive Security Podcast. Today, we are joined by Lance Hayden, VP, Chief Information and Security Strategist at Veracast. How are you today, sir? I'm doing well, Gene. Thanks for having me here. Oh, fantastic. Well, Lance, we're super excited to have you talk with our listeners about your career. And I think uh, there's a, an interesting uh, kind of journey that you got here. So maybe you could tell our listeners about your journey, about how you got into cybersecurity, because I know when we prepped here, you said you started as an English major. So how does an English major go from there to where you are today? Oh, man, it's a long and winding road, but it was, you know, it was <laughs> Aren't fun. they all? Yeah, seriously, right? So I was an English major. I mean, it was funny when I was in college and God, I'm dating myself, I'm old. But, you know, when I was in college, computers were fairly new, much less the internet or the web or anything like that. I thought they were a fad. I worked on a typewriter my entire four-year undergraduate thing. I was like, ah, these things don't last. I started working with the government and they quickly dispensed me at that. They're like, now you're going to have to learn to use these things. And so I did. And, and you know, I, I got a little interested and they were pretty cool. But being an English major, I read a lot and I was a big science fiction fan. And I remember I read William Gibson's novel, Neuromancer. And if any of your listeners haven't read that yet, it's a classic of the cyberpunk genre. You got to read it. He coined the term cyberspace. And I read that and the hackers, virtual worlds, AI and all of the stuff there. I was like, oh, man, I'm like, I want to be part of this. And so I started looking for ways to do that. I wasn't particularly technical. I'm not an engineer. That has not sort of been my path, although I've learned to play one on TV, I guess. And I've sort of, I've been forced in this industry and not just forced. I mean, I've enjoyed it. It's, I've had to explore those areas as well. So essentially, I started looking for opportunities to learn more about cybersecurity and very quickly, you know, learning to use computers, learning about networking, things like that. I quickly got to the point where I was like, all right, I'm not going to be able to do this the way I want to do it in the government. I got to go private sector. So I went back to grad school. I got a master's degree in information science, and I focused on sort of learning technology. I I was an intelligence officer in the government. so, uh, So security was already something. Information security was something I understood. Computer security was, you know, a different variant of that. So I I had to learn to use the command line and understand what Linux was and figure out how networks worked and all of that and just got more and more into it. And so when I got out of grad school, went to work, started consulting, basically started my career with KPMG for a brief period of time, starting to do some auditing and computer work there. It was mostly auditing and compliance that sort of I got started in. But then quickly, that just, I mean, without going through a 30-year career, I mean, it right. just it started <laughs> progressing into, I got a job uh, running pen test teams with a startup. And I managed them. I wasn't doing the pen test. I was just managing the teams. But then I got very fascinated with what they did. And so I made them take me out on their pen test and sort of show me some of those skills and teach me some of those tools. And then that just progressed. And I've been doing a lot of consulting and really trying to find a niche for my particular talents, where I was interested in things like uh, strategy, governance, compliance, you know, was never going to try and be a hardcore techie, 
But security, it very quickly became apparent to me that security was going to be way more than just technology. And so I tried to find those areas where I could add value and I could participate and built a career around that. Started consulting on security strategy, building a program, measuring security, got interested, wrote a couple of industry books on topics that I found fascinating. And yeah, next thing you know, I'm here and I'm in charge of security strategy for Barrettcast. And, and what that means is, again, we've got a CISO, we've got a chief privacy officer, and we all work together. But I'm sort of tasked with trying to think about the things that they don't necessarily need to or get to think about day to day. You know, what's coming down the pike? What do we really need to worry about uh, long term, horizontally? And it's just been a really great journey. I've really I've, I've yeah. enjoyed it and, and it's been fun. Yeah, well, congratulations on all the success you've had, and uh, it sounds like a unique opportunity at Veracast. So that's awesome. So, what would you tell somebody uh, that maybe some of your backgrounds not as technical as one would think they need to be, uh, but still wants to try to enter the field of cybersecurity today? Let's face it; it is a different industry than it was when you and I started. So. Right. Thinking about uh, today, what are people with maybe less non-technical backgrounds, uh, what should they be thinking about? Well, I mean, I'm living proof that if I can do this and I can be in this field, anybody can. <laughs> it's, it's really, and I would encourage folks, I mean, you do not have to be technical. As a matter of fact, what I would also say is, is we use cliches and metaphors and analogies a lot in security, which has been great for me because some of the stuff I couldn't understand. I'm, I'm a big fan of metaphor. I did my PhD on metaphor in technology and security, how that works. And so one of the metaphors we use is the idea of a, a sort of three-legged stool of people, process, and technology. And that's really what good security programs are based on. But realistically, if you look at our stool, our stool has one big, long technology leg and then two relatively shorter people in process. Like it's not a very stable stool. And, right, and again, right. you could use other <laughs> analogies. If you have a well-balanced investment portfolio, you don't put all your eggs in one basket. And what we've done in security is we are heavily weighted on the technology side. It's what people sort of go to. It's what many people in the industry are familiar with. And they've come up through network admin or system admin uh, jobs. And that's great. We need that. But what it means is there's an enormous opportunity for people who might not be technology people, but they know a lot about human psychology or technical mm. writing, how to portray complex topics to a lay audience or, you know, user interface design, which is a technical field in itself, but one that I think security could benefit from. I think that security is one of these fields, just like any other field, we've hit a point of maturity and complexity in the field that we're going to benefit from a broad spectrum of disciplines and talents, just like any other complex field. And so whatever you're doing, if you're interested in security, there is a job for you in it. You just got to find it. And that's probably the most difficult part of it is finding that job. But I totally agree with you. We just uh, recorded an episode with uh, Mark Varner, uh, the CISO at Lowe's. And uh, he, he's got some great examples of people that he's met uh, along his journey that were not technologists, were not even in one case in the corporate world. And uh, that diverse perspective has been really helpful because uh, your point, it's continuously, you got to remind people that cybersecurity is not just the people in the hoodies uh, doing the pen testing. It's a much more mature and expansive uh, field. 
And I think it kind of rolls nicely into the the next question, uh, which is you're teaching at University of Texas, Hook'em Horns. What's the benefits of studying cybersecurity at the college level today? Well, I mean, that's been super rewarding for me. And one of the reasons, going back to your the question before, I mean, one of the reasons I've done it is to try and, and scout talent that might not otherwise think about getting into the program. So one of the things to understand is the iSchool at UT, where I teach and where I got my degrees, started out when I went there back in the day. It was the School of Library and Information Science. So one of the things the school does in the iSchool movement, we could have a whole nother podcast about the evolution of the iSchool movement. But the iSchools are one of the things that they started out doing and still continue to do is they train librarians. And so I would get children's librarians or academic librarians that would come in and want to learn about cyber and had no technical background. But man, they were smart people and creative. And so the benefits of studying it. And I think one other thing I wanted to hit on, because you hit on with the idea of the guys in the hoodies doing the pen test. When I started doing pen tests, one of my jobs was to go with them on site whenever they did this. Because while they were great at the pen tests, you couldn't always put them in front of the executive sponsor of the pen yeah. You needed some middleware there. And so my job there was to sort of explain things in a way that was going to be a little more diplomatic, a little more palatable, a little more you know, digestible. So I look for people like that. And one of the benefits of studying it at the college level is, um, quite frankly, especially when you start talking about grad school, and that's where I've taught. Grad school is about, it's not just about basic skills like an undergraduate. Grad school is where you start getting into theory. You start getting into critical thinking. You start getting into research and analysis. And so that's another area where there's a whole world of cybersecurity in academia where they're trying to put together theory. They're trying to put together, you know, academic research, not applied sort of research or applied skills. And it's a great place. I mean, I, I think everybody would benefit from sort of studying this at a more academic level and, and getting into some of these things. But I go in there because I'm trying to coach. I want to find people that I'm like, man, yeah. you would make a great cybersecurity professional. Right. And, and I've done that. That's one of the things, one of the greatest things about this is I have hired a lot of people out of my That's classes awesome. and brought yeah. them in to sort of become cybersecurity professionals. It's been very, very rewarding. That sounds very much. I got the pleasure of doing some uh, part-time uh, lecturing at Northeastern where I, I got my undergrad, I got my MBA. And to your point, uh, it can be really rewarding. I I always reflect on a story, it's nothing to do with cybersecurity, but uh, I was speaking at Northeastern and a gentleman came up and said, hey, I, I was actually saw that you worked at EMC, which is a company most people hadn't, haven't heard of because uh, it's now part of <laughs> I Dell. Rem I remember, yeah, I remember. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, but he said, I really wanted to go work for EMC and I didn't get the internship because uh, uh, Northeastern has a work-study program. And I said, well, you know, you seem like a good guy. Let me let me make a couple of calls. I happened to know the person that ran the inside sales organization. And I said, uh, Linda Conley, I said, Linda, really good person. I don't know what he did in the interview, but I'm saying I met with him. He's definitely an EMCer. And uh, so she interviewed him personally. He ended up getting hired there. And uh, I didn't hear from him for a long, long time. And then I got this LinkedIn message from somebody at Google. And I'm looking at the picture. And I opened up the message and he's like, hey, you know, Gene, you might not remember, but you helped me get a job at EMC. That job led me ultimately to have a, I don't want to over-exaggerate, but you know, a great job at Google. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. You know, I, and so many times, unfortunately, people don't take that two minutes 
to try to go help somebody, but you know, it's a fun aspect of it. And I think that's a great reason to teach, right? It is the reason I teach. I mean, I've taught now for 20 plus years. And the thing that I remember, it's a gene. It's exactly what you're talking about. Every now and then, every year or a couple of years, I get an email out of the blue. And you're right. I've gotten emails where like, that class I took with you changed the trajectory of my life. And I mean, that's huge. That's like, oh my God. It also brings sort of when I teach a powerful sense of responsibility to try and really get in there because some of these things, it it doesn't happen. I usually, you know, it's one every few semesters, you get that one person. But when you find that person that is right for this, it's the old Apple thing. When you show them the thing that they wanted to do that they didn't know they were looking for and it spins them off in another direction. I love that. Yeah, that's so cool. So for our listeners, you know, piece of advice is there are lots of people like Lance and I out there looking to help. And even if you get a bunch of no's of people not looking to help, there are lots of people like us out here. And I think specifically in this industry of cyber, because there's such a shortage that we all recognize that you'll find more than your fair share of people if you're willing to put yourself out there to be able to do that. So, you know, taking college classes and asking professors that are in industry for guidance and advice, uh, I think you're going to find lots of people like Lance that are more than glad to try to help make that connection. So last question, what do you look for in an entry-level candidate? And I'll add just a little twist to this. How can people best display those uh, capabilities uh, in an interview? Yeah. So, you know, you know, obviously it depends on the role that you're looking for. If I'm looking sure. for, you know, a hardcore pen tester with mad technical skills, then you're going to have to have some technical <laughs> exactly. skills. But a re- great rapport is important, but not going to be the first criteria. Yeah, yeah. That ain't going to help you pop root. <laughs> it's like, and so, you know, generally, even in those situations, what really stands out to me is when I find someone, I mean, it's things like curiosity. It's things like a willingness, everything that we've been talking about through the course of the conversation. It's a willingness to explore and to change, but think outside the box, to get out there and apply different concepts, different theories, different things to what you're trying to do. And really critical thinking skills. Again, whole nother podcast on this. I despair of some of the degradation of critical thinking skills that I see across society. It's, It's not something that is foregrounded as much as I think it should be anymore. And that's really what I look for because too often, and and especially in the cyber field, A, we don't really think reflexively or critically about why we're doing something. We're stressed or swamped or we've got so much going on or we're in the middle of a crisis. But that is the time when the ability to kind of sit back and be like, okay, wait a minute, why are we doing this? Has anybody thought about alternatives? You know, that critical thought, I think that is clutch. And that's something that when I find people that I feel like can do that. And what that also helps to do is, having been in this field a long time, some of the same problems arise over and over again. It's hard to get budget. It's hard to fight against, you know, bureaucratic inertia. It's hard to get people to care about security as much as we do and and drive it into the culture. So I look for people that that aren't going to get discouraged by that fight but still keep up the fight and find creative and innovative ways to do it. So it's really more of a personality thing. Um, But the way that I think that you can show that in an interview is, you know, interviews are a a tricky dance. And so there's a performative aspect where you've got to manage that. You know, you have to know the tap dance moves to get through the interview because it's a choreographed kind of thing. But you also have to know when to sort of break routine and put yourself out there in a way that is 
it doesn't break the interview, but it, mm-hmm. but it sets you apart. And so yeah. I would say that the courage and the self-confidence to know, look, this is what I'm really good at. And I believe that I would bring some value here. And then find that point to make that case and get outside the box a little bit. For me, when I see that, I'm like, all right, this is someone that knows how to walk and talk the ritual, but also knows how to sort of bucket when they need to. And that's the person that is not only going to be good at the job, but is going to be on a path to cybersecurity leadership down the line, because those are the people that end up breaking out. Yeah, no, well said. Uh, that curiosity theme is a, a constant uh, that we hear from security leaders. I think that has a lot to do with the fact that our problem set continuously changes. So unlike deploying, uh, I don't know, pick an ERP system, you know, you become an expert in that. And, you know, there are so many different ways to deploy it in a pharmaceutical company, but you become ultimately an expert and the, the incremental change becomes 1%, 2%, whereas our problem set can change overnight and it can be a whole new adversary, a new set of problems. And we need people that can context switch and then equally be that curiosity, that learned person to go, okay, new problem set, new day. I don't know anything. How do I go get a wealth of knowledge? And uh, you know, maybe in the future, it'll be AI that solves all these problems. But for the future... I'm sure there's going to be a lot of need for the people aspect of that. So. Well, and and even if we get to the point where AI does solve the problems, it'll just create a whole new slew yeah. of problems yeah, that we'll right. need someone else to solve. Yeah, because let's remember now the good guys and the bad guys get AI, you know? Right, <laughs> like, right. Yeah. Both sides get to use the new technology the new exactly. to uh, challenge us. So I think that's going to be quite interesting. So. Well, awesome, Lance. I knew you'd be a great guest and uh, just thank you so much uh, for joining us today. As a reminder to our listeners looking to up their cybersecurity skills, you can get one year free uh, content of our cybersecurity training portal, ThreadX Academy with the promo code podcast. ThreadX Academy covers a wide variety of cybersecurity topics. You can learn more at academy.threadx.com. Also check out a recent episode that we did with uh, my colleague, Neil Wetzel, where we discussed what cybersecurity hiring managers are looking for, which has been one of our most listened to uh, episodes so far. Lastly, if you want to learn more about API and application security, please visit our website, threadx.com. Thanks again, Lance. I really appreciate you being a guest on our podcast. Thanks, Jane. It was a pleasure to be here, and I hope we talk again soon.